This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner and Momenta Partners, and welcome to our Digital Leadership Series. In this series of conversations, we're highlighting some of the best and brightest minds and practitioners in the business as we focus on their journeys into digital transformation, what they learned, what their successes were, what the challenges were, along with lessons that are relevant for you today. We hope you enjoy our explorations and get value from it. And always, we look for your feedback and suggestions. Good day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Momenta Podcasts. And today, we have a special guest. It's Rob Basuti, who is the Global Head of Digital Transformation at ABB. Uh, Rob's one of the most interesting presenters uh, that I've, I've heard at a major industrial conference last fall at IoT Solutions World in Barcelona. We got a chance to hear him talk about the vision that uh, that ABB is um, uh, is is articulating and and it, what's helping them shape their uh, their their strategy in the future. And it seems like we have a lot of intersecting interests uh, between the Momenta team and what what Rob Rob's doing and what Rob is helping to uh, to articulate for for ABB. And oh, first of all, I want to thank you for for joining us, Rob. Oh, thank you, Ed. It's a it's a pleasure to be here and uh, speak with you today. Looking forward to our conversation. Terrific. Well, I'd like to start just with a little bit of context and and uh, learn a little bit about your background. I mean, talk about what's shaped your view of 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 really technology and and the markets and what has brought you to your your current role at at ABB. All right. Well, uh, my journey uh, my journey started as a computer science graduate and um, with a minor in mathematics and. Landed in uh, in the land of mainframes, uh, developing software and real-time operating systems, and from there it was downhill. <laughs> I actually, uh, over time, uh, transitioned into the business, the business strategy, management consulting, uh, and ultimately a uh, startup company, and now here I am in this big industrial uh, mega company. Uh, driving uh, digital transformation. So, so my background is predominantly computer science. I've, I was, uh, you know, weaned on IT, and uh, I've gone through uh, many phases, as you can imagine, the internet phase, the uh, Y2K phase, and now the the next big phase, which is digital. And and this is where really computer science is coming to the industrial companies in a much bigger way than it has in the past. And uh, that's uh, it's a beautiful debate, uh, thought to be in. It's uh, you know always like to be in the cusp of disruption and transitions and and uh, transformation, uh, the new and the new as we call it in the industry. Uh, so with a background of uh, computer science, IT, software, uh, networking, communications, um, hardware, um, and of course uh, my last uh, startup company was a startup in. Um, IoT uh, platform and advanced machine learning analytics applied to asset-intensive industries sort of position me well to join ABB and really bring that experience and knowledge in helping ABB uh, create new value um, from the, the, the use of uh, digital and innovation in digital uh, and, and really figure out how to uh, you know, uh, monetize that value uh, in, in the longer run. Uh, so that's, that's sort of the combination of things that happened, the, the, the uh, 
the, if you will, the various junctures in my, uh, my career that, that, that brought me here today. Oh, that's a, that's a great combination of both uh, industrial and, and, and IT uh, experience and, and business experience as well. Um, I, when we touch on the term digital transformation, I always like to get a sense of you know, what, it, what that means to you from, from your perspective at, at ABB. And, and it's, a, it's become a term that's very popular, but would love to get your, your take on, on the term and, and really what, you know, what, the, what the broader implications are. That's a great, that's really a great question, Ed. Um, and, you know, uh, a great question is one that I have a slide for. Uh, a good question is one I have an answer for. <laughs> we got multiple <laughs> slides on this. <laughs> you know, um, um, it's, it actually, it, it comes out, and it's, it's really simple. It comes down to one thing and one thing only, and that is how can we leverage digital technologies, and in essence, digital technologies meaning it has software, it's connected, and has intelligence, right? Um, and, and that's integrated into the uh, assets. How can we bring digital innovation from, you know, technology, digital technology to drive business innovation in our customer base in order to create value? And that value could come in a number of different ways, right? It could come from uh, the way that they, um, they deliver their products and services to the market and the products and services that they deliver as a, as a, use of, as a result of the use of our technologies um, and most of, the, most of the companies that we work with have infrastructure. Um, you know, infra there are infrastructure companies. Uh, or whether that is from optimization of their infrastructure or um, gaining business agility or a competitive advantage. So, so it's, it's really all about that. It's about how can our customers use digital technologies to innovate their, in their business and create and extract value and thereby uh, give the ABB the ability to also create value for their customers and extract value. And, then, and then of course, there's another very important dimension here. Everybody is uh, very focused on the technology. My group in particular, we're focused on where technology meets business and where, where technology delivers business results. And to that extent, the, you know, um, digital has also opened up an entirely new way of monetization. Um, you know, we call it the, high, uh, the uh, Maslow's hierarchy of, of evolution of business models and commercial models, right? Where you go from, you know, basic product doing what it's doing to now product as a service. In other words, these assets now become a, a service in themselves to ultimately product as an outcome. And, and you know, there's an evolution in the commercial models that, that parallels that. So it's really about the two. It's about the digital innovation and technology in the business, how that changes the business, and then how do you really monetize it through new business models and commercial models. So innovation on both sides. And, and they're, they're tied together. And, and, and at the risk of uh, saying too much on this, I'll just give you an example. So for example, today you could sell a motor. And a motor does a motor, what a motor does, and it just turns, right? Well, as you digitize this motor, in other words, as you, um, you know, create what we call a, I'll throw another buzzword out, I love this, that's, that's what we do really well, buzzwords. So as you create a digital twin, which means really a virtual representation of that asset, um, and, it's, and, and you can model the behavior, you can not only measure it, but you can also model the behavior, but you can also predict the behavior. And then you, now you have the ability to also take this motor and put it in the context of a bigger system and a pump, and then expand that uh, operational model um, to be the whole pump, and maybe pump is part of a water system. 
So now you have, you know, you have, you go to the next level and now you're now creating incremental value. So that pump is no longer a pump. Uh, sorry, that motor is no longer a motor. That motor is an intelligent component of a system that you can manage, you can monitor, manage and control and even predict its behavior. So now you have, you're creating all this additional value. As a matter of fact, I think it was one of my friends that said, uh, and I'm trying to, um, uh, I, I'm trying to remember who it was, but, but said, you know, at, at some point, the data around those assets become more valuable than the assets themselves in terms of value creation. And I said, that's actually certainly what we're living. So digital transformation is really about that. It's about um, working in identifying those innovations that digital technology brings, how it changes the business and how it changes the business model, what really value it starts to create uh, for the customers and, and their customers. I'd love to get and of course what capabilities we need on the back end right. to be able to uh, to make that happen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, no, I was I'd be interested to get your perspective as a, I mean, as an industrial company, a bit on uh, a bit of uh, color on the state of the market today, and uh, as as it relates to you know context, this this evolution of, of IoT, and and really just to frame the uh, the the frame frame the the thinking here as we go back. Say, you know, five or six years ago, when when we first started to see, you know, the the big push toward IoT, we had a lot of uh, very large companies spending a lot of money to uh, to build big marketing campaigns around uh, industrial IoT. It, you know, the reality is is that is that it's been a much more of a, I would say, rather than rather than seeing a big inflection, uh, we have had. Really, just steady growth and, and steady adoption, and and maybe some misalignment of of initial expectations with, uh, with real outcomes. And of course, a lot of a lot of these technologies certainly harken back to, uh, con- you know, connect early connected systems and M two M systems in the uh, in the nineties and the two thousands. But but you know, from the, from from your perspective, I'd love to get your the sense of, of how where the market is today and and how you've you know some of the important uh, insights a- a- along the way over this past we'll say the last half decade that that you believe are you know have, are, are really laying the groundwork for um, for what we'll what we'll, we see coming over the next decade. Uh, yeah. So is that broad enough? Back and say, <laughs> no, that's that's pretty broad. That's actually really good because it helps yeah. me come in from a macro level, and then we we'll get down to the micro hopefully pretty quickly. Um, uh, no, it's great because uh, you said the market, and I'm saying, well, what is the market, right? What is the market? Market is uh, various uh, industries really adopting this uh, technology, and the critical driving factor has always been in adoption technology, other than the fact that it's a beautiful shiny object and and people want to play around with it. Uh, the adoption, the true adoption only happens when really there's business value that's being generated from these technologies. And I think if we look at IoT in particular, it, in essence, it is a, there's a bunch of technologies that have been, um, you know, deployed in the consumer world. And then over time, they've been hardened so that they can actually operate in a commercial world and, and harden even further to operate within an industrial world. And if you really look at it, the consumer world is probably the most agile, flexible market and adoption of these technologies and the application of these technologies like cloud and analytics and, um, you know, VR technology and so on and so forth, right? Um, you know, computers getting cheaper, memories getting cheaper. Uh, those are all factors. Um, 
But, but if we step back and you say, well, look at what, what happened. I mean, financial, in, financial in, in, in industry was the first adopter after the consumer market. Uh, they're the closest to the consumer. The business is closest to software, right? And then, of course, after that, you know, we saw adoption sort of uh, coming to other companies. And ultimately, it hit the industrial sector. And the industrial sector, the discrete manufacturing industry, is probably ahead of the rest of the industry. And the, you know, so they're ahead of the... Uh, Process manufacturing, they're ahead of uh, they're ahead of utilities and so on and so forth. So there's actually an S curve that that you can look at that basically maps these industries. And, and, and the reason for that is pretty natural, is because you know as you get more into the industrial companies, uh, you, you get heavier assets, right? I mean, these are basically uh, it's an asset intensive. These are asset intensive industries, and these are infrastructure intensive industries. And and um, the reality is that you know these assets are built to last. So, so you have assets out there that are, you know, expected to last anywhere between 30 to 40 or 50 years, uh, especially as you get into heavy industries, right? And so it's not that you can flip a switch and move. And, and there is a lot of infrastructure upgrade that needs to happen. And, of course, you need to have business cases. You need to have use cases. And I always say it's always driven by the business and the use case, that adoption. If you want to see where adoption is occurring, look at the use case, look at the business case, see if it makes sense for adoption of technologies, and particularly as you have to go and, and superimpose a new infrastructure. So a lot of these uh, machines, devices, uh, assets, were not even connected, right? And, and that's one of the first basic principles. Um, first, you, you, know, you put sensors on them, but then you connect these sensors so you can collect the data. So you're connected to a network where you can collect the data and then be able to bring it in to whatever solution application. Of course, the second factor was the readiness of the uh, a platform as a service. And so it was for a period of time in the industrial side, there was uh, quite a bit of a fighting. Like you said, a few people had gone out there ahead of time and they spent a lot of money on marketing and way ahead of their skis in terms of delivering a platform. But a platform didn't really exist until now, like about a year ago, we were seeing consolidation of platform as service providers and, 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 and that's actually helping accelerate adoption too. So there's all those factors. So it was like the factor around how do we justify the cost of this infrastructure based on a few small use cases? And these are companies that, you know, um, they, they, they want, they expect a, a return on equity, <laughs> return on uh, equity and the, and the uh, investment, uh, you know, RIC of, of capital equipment in a, a 24, 36 months. Uh, so, so that's been the main challenge is that, you know, where are the use cases, um, how do these aggregate in a way to justify the infrastructure, and is the infrastructure really available? So the good news is that technology is available now, and it's getting more and more mature. Um, the good news is that the use cases are emerging increasingly in terms of how do you really apply this um, to do my business. So, for example, if I'm a manufacturer, uh, in essence, um, you know, how do I get to total lights out manufacturing? How do I get to flexible manufacturing? How do I get, how do I really get to, uh, you know, unit volume production of one? How do I get into, you know, mass customization? This is where my value needs to shift. And so as these use cases begin to emerge and the technology underneath it matures or, or is ready for adoption and there's a business case to do, we, we see that adoption occur. And where it's failed is um, where it's failed is failed in, in the strategy and in, in not having the right use cases. Uh, we call it we call it the pilot purgatory, right? <laughs> People will just play around in the sandbox with it, and and the business case is not really clear. Um, in the cases where that's happened, and there are many instances where that's happening and ha has happened and it's happening more now. Um, 
uh, you know, where the business case and use cases are clear and the technology is there, uh, it's, it's um, you know, it's beginning to move. So, so I think we're in the cusp of that movement, but um, it's, a, it's a journey. And it's not a one or two year or three year journey. It's a multi-year journey because of the nature of the uh, assets in these, in these industries. Yeah, and and that's a great lead-in because I I actually wanted to to focus on on the areas where where you and ABB are are focused, which is really around this uh, this broader transformation of uh, energy and trans uh, energy and transportation. And I would love to lo- love for you to share a bit of you know what you see as these um, you know the big forces that are that are really defining a uh, this you know kind of a massive tectonic shift that um, that, I, that I think is you know is leading to some of the most interesting things that you're thinking about and, and working on with clients so um, if you could you know, just frame a bit of the uh, the you know the, what what's happening in energy and transformation and how how that's effect, how that's impacting uh, the, you know the work and the thinking that you guys are doing that's a that's a that's a that's a topic near and dear to my heart, Ed. So thank you for picking that. <laughs> um, you know, we've been looking at this uh, for for a while now, and you know, we entered the market asking the main question, any question, you know, question anybody would ask, which is, uh, how is this market going to evolve? What are the driving forces? Uh, when is it going to evolve? And what is it going to look like when it evolves? And how do we really get out there and create value? Uh, and accelerate, help accelerate and drive the growth of this market. And so uh, the convergence of, I think, um, um, electricity and transportation happened a while ago, you know, when the first EV car came out. And, um, and, and it's been a very slow, very slow um, progression adoption, and that's sort of what's raised the question for us, which is if we look into our crystal ball, we look in the future, that's the future. But where is that future? How far is it? And what's going to help accelerate it and, and, you know, what are the forces, to your point, that are really driving it. So as we, as we stepped back and looked at this, uh, we, we found out that there, there's about really six major factors that impact the adoption in this, in this market, the growth uh, and, and acceleration of the growth in this market. First, um, foremost, uh, you know, battery technology is definitely there. Uh, today, it's, it's one of the most uh, expensive components in electric vehicles. And, and, and increasingly, as electric vehicles uh, become uh, autonomous, you know the, the energy demand increases because fundamentally they're going to be data data uh, data centers on wheels, right? So energy demand is going to increase, and of course battery technology um, is not on the on the uh, same um, um, evolution evolutionary path as uh, semiconductors, right? It's it, it's it's not a logarithmic uh, uh, it's not logarithmic in any sense. It's it's very it's material science, right? And then you add, uh, you add some technology, uh, computer science to it. But it's getting better, and the prices are coming down. Of course, there's a, there is a, it's a chicken and egg with batteries, right? So the more vehicles out there, the cheaper the batteries, the less, the more expensive the batteries. So, so that's definitely a factor. Um, and the cost of the battery in itself as a, as a component of the total cost of ownership of the vehicle is still a pretty significant component, uh, enough to really throw off the economics. So, so that, that needs to be taken a look at seriously and, and carefully. Uh, the, next, the next thing that we realize is government policy and incentives that the government, governments are putting in place. We see some governments are being extremely aggressive, some not so aggressive. Um, we've seen that they've sort of uh, have been pretty much focused on the carrot. In the past couple of years, we're seeing that they're now focusing on the carrot and the stick, meaning incentives to adopt and at the same time 
uh, putting regulatory measures in to um, to um, to encourage people to uh, to not go the other way. And these are mostly around emission standards and and emission you know um, uh, emission air quality, et cetera, et cetera. And they're being imposed in various cities around the world. And and actually, the city governments are really leading this, not not the the federal governments, but the city governments. The uh, the third component, of course, was the the value chain. So there's a there's a shift from a hydrocarbon value chain to electrical or electron value chain, and so this is an entirely new value chain and a new infrastructure that needs to be built out. So we call it the charging infrastructure, or let's call it the electrical infrastructure, that's required to um, you know power these vehicles, ultimately charge and power these vehicles. And so that, that's a complexity in itself because we're talking about infrastructure, who's going to pay for it, how is it going to be deployed, where is it going to be deployed, um, how is it going to affect, um, you know, the, uh, the overall, um, and, and it is affected by the overall adoption and, and, and what happens with the vehicles, et cetera, et cetera. And there's uh, urban issues and, you know, so on and so forth. So there's a lot of, lot of challenges uh, around the infrastructure. Um, the, uh, the fourth element that we identified was the, the electricity demand. Now, you know, what happens to electricity in aggregate? Not just because of the vehicle, because the vehicle is now being attached to uh, a building. So now what we're seeing is we're beginning to see a shift in the electrical and load profile of the buildings uh, as a result of electric vehicles, which, by the way, will also happen as a result of automation, like putting more robots and automating various things in the commercial industrial sector. But now, you know, the building load profile is changing. So, um, you know, how is, that, how is that shifting the demand? And, and that shift in the demand, how is that impacting that value chain we talked about? And, of course, uh, vehicle use. That's a really critical component here. Um, you know, looking at, um, looking at the vehicle use itself, um, how often, where, how, uh, you know, we have all of these uh, mobility services that are coming online, shared ride shares, uh, and, and they're, 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 they're going to impact um, uh, very significantly impact the use, which you know it subsequently impacts everything else. And of course, at the end of the day, it's all also about the commercial models. Without the right commercial models in place, we are not going to see the acceleration, the growth. Um, and I'll give you I'll give you an example of that. I mean, if 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 the only option for us is to pay you know time of day chargers for uh, for uh, electricity in order to uh, charge our cars and vehicles, uh, the economics are such that that's just not going to work, right? And of course, who provides it and, and how much they get paid in the value chain is really key. And so we looked at the value chain and the money flow and potential need for commercial models. And there's, of course, new elements in this value chain, uh, what we call the replacement for the hydrocarbon value chain. Um, and there's new, the needs for new commercial models in this area, even from financing these vehicles. and and. Of course, all of this digital technologies is a huge component of this, um, and and in the underlying infrastructure, the digital capabilities within the underlying infrastructure are going to be very significant and a determinant in the commercial models and how do you address the electricity demand uh, all around the infrastructure itself and 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 battery technology and so on and so forth and even the vehicles. Uh, so what we see is there's a convergence that's going that is occurring between connected data and electricity uh, in, in this world. And, and it has technological implications and it has commercial implications. And uh, we can get into that a little bit more. Yeah, no, that, that's that really interesting. 
absolutely. And and I thought what what's so interesting about the work you do at ABB is that you really sit at the nexus of this convergence of 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 you know electricity or power and information technologies. And would love to get your thoughts on how you know, broader adoption of electric vehicles and and the uh, and and also you know the different types of uh, generation, clean generation, which are, are say non-continuous uh, when we're talking about, um, you know, for instance, solar and wind, um, and then and then of course you know choreographed storage. I mean, how 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 does that change the whole way you think about the electrical grid? And I'd love to hear a little bit about how what ABB is doing to uh, um, to address the different stakeholders in 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 the value chain. Yeah, um, and I think I think. Uh when we, when we step back and look at this, we see there's another trend in another industry that, that correlates very closely and, and uh, needs to be looked at very carefully or, or actually plays into this. Uh, and that's, that's uh, decentralization of, of generation, right? With the advent of, um, you know, uh, PVs and batteries, storage, et cetera, uh, increasingly, we, we are seeing a shift from um, you know central uh, generation and then transmission distribution to more distributed generation and consumption. So what we call the emergence of the prosumer market. Because uh, it's all about energy, right? It's all about the energy uh, at the end of the day. It's about uh, you know where we get it from, how is it produced, and ultimately what we pay for it. And how is it produced? Is it green or not green, right? Um, so so that is a very significant trend. And and what's happening is that while the demand is increasing on the edge of what we call the electric utility network, right, back into the network itself, that demand is dropping. And, and the demand is increasing, but so is production of, of energy on the edge of that network, of the utility network. So think about, you know, think about on customer premise, just behind the meter or, you know, on the other side, just, just on the other side of the meter where the utility ends and your building begins, Right. Uh, so there's that white space there that's uh, being addressed by um, distributed, uh, distributed generation and microgrids and so on and so forth. We call microgrids and so on and so forth. So that, that's a very significant uh, factor uh, to the point that you're making it uh, in, in how, it's, how, how uh, this is going to impact um, the, uh, the, uh, the adoption and also you know, as, a, as a source of energy um, how is this going to uh, impact the uh, the commercial uh, and and um, adoption of, of EVs? Uh, so the the answer is that what we're seeing, and the answer is what we're seeing is that there's an increase in energy demand, and there uh, there are a lot of technologies that could address that, and increasingly more and more uh, our um, customers are looking to put um, you know microgrids in and and actually become a prosumer. In order to um, in order to manage one thing and one thing only, and that's to optimize their load profile in aggregate. Um, as a result of adding the, these electric vehicles, so we adding electric vehicles, we're driving increase in energy demand. That energy demand uh, right now, based on the current utility model, has a massive cost because there is unmanaged and variable load profile associated with these electric vehicles. And so the ability to optimize that load uh, for any given customer. So, for example, I'm DHL and I have 100 trucks. I'm going to turn these 100, you know, in my depot, you know, I probably have maybe a total use of 500 kilowatts uh, per month. As soon as I add these 100 trucks at 85, 100 kilo, 125 kilowatts, you know, my demand is going to go to megawatts. And first of all, 
Uh, is the utility going to be able to supply that to me? Second, are the models going to be such that, um, that it's not going to cost me an arm and a leg? Because at the end of the day, my business is to deliver packages. It's not really to do anything else. And so I'm measuring my success based on a cost per kilometer uh, of everything in my vehicle, my energy, f- fuel, my labor, you know, all of that. Uh, so that, that then begins to have a significant impact. That variable uh, load profile, unmanaged load profile, begins to have a significant impact on the total economics of, of electrification of the vehicles. And therefore, um, you know, there, there needs to be another solution that I'm going to go to the utility company and they're going to build a substation. They're going to charge me millions of dollars to build a substation. It's going to take them two and a half years to do it. And then I'm going to have to pay these peak demand charges that are going to just bankrupt me, in essence, because of this massive unmanaged and variable load profile. So, so that's, that's really the main problem, right, that we're trying to solve. And to your point, um, the convergence of this distributed energy resources, the availability, um, and the ability to do that is, is a big part of the solution here. That's a very multidisciplinary problem as well. And I would love to get your thoughts. I mean, as ABB is a, being a global company, are there, you know, are there, are there countries or, or, or cities or, uh, or even companies that, that you're working with that you believe are, you know, are, are helping to lead the way or, or establish, you know, best practices? Because as, you know, what you've described is, um, requires a, a fairly deli- delicate orchestration of, you know, in, incorporating new ideas and new technologies, but also in, ensuring that, you know, traditional, uh, you know, Service levels and and you know, reliability of uh, of infrastructure is you know is is, is still maintained. Um, working right. with you know private <laughs> private sector, public sector, and and also uh, innovative technologies. I mean, have, would love to get a, a bit of perspective on on you know where there's some differences. If there are some folks that are doing things that that you find exemplary. Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head. It is complicated, isn't it? <laughs> it's pretty complicated. It's very multidisciplinary. Uh, so to make it simple and less complicated, uh, you know, one of the things we did was we said we sat back and we said, okay, so if you look at all these six factors, um, where's the you know where's the lowest resistance? Where, where's the lowest resistance for adoption uh, occurring? And it became clear to us very quickly that the lowest point of resistance was in in short-haul regional urban uh, delivery initially. So these are basically fleets of, you know, EV, you know the, the transformation fleet um, uh, fleets was going to happen much faster. And the reason for that was they didn't, they're not necessarily um, reliant on a public infrastructure for charging. So that's number one. Number two, uh, most of the major cities uh, in the world are basically passing zero emission zones, which means that if you do not have an emission-friendly car, you can't actually drive in those parts of the zone, and they're generally in the central parts of the cities, uh, which means that a good portion of your business is going to go away if you don't have an electric vehicle delivering packages for you. Uh, so that was another determinant driver. Um, and, 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 you know, the two, the two elements are, and, and you're not really subject to regulation beyond that, right? So you can actually, uh, you can actually do what you want on your premise uh, in order to achieve, you know, in order to do that. And then, of course, the, the total cost of ownership of vehicles um, between an ICE vehicle, which is an internal combustion engine vehicle, and an electric vehicle is, is a magnet, order of magnitude apart, right? Um, ICE uh, vehicles have 2,300 plus parts in them. You know, an average EV has 20 plus parts in it. So 
maintenance is much lower, uh, and they're and they're much more durable in that sense. Um, again, the only thing being the battery. Um, so so we see that that market's moving first. Um, the fleets are moving first, and and that's where the adoption's happening. Uh, in, in a much, much broader way because, again, the lack of dependence on a public infrastructure for charging. The, the second thing, of course, is that the, you know, the, the main thing was the battery and the battery capacity to be able to do what they're doing. So those, those elements, as we looked at it, so the commercial, the, the, the business model made a lot more sense. The infrastructure deployment was a lot easier, and there was regulatory pressure uh, on, on these companies to uh, move. And there you have it. Those are those are converging uh, uh, So we see that that actually is, is taking off. Um, all the companies you saw you saw DHL bought um, uh, street uh, street scooter, right? An EV company. So these guys have actually gone out there and even buying EV manufacturing companies to do this. Um, we know La Poste has uh, is deploying EVs because you can't go in central Paris unless you have an EV. Uh, we see that happening with uh, the likes of UPS, uh, etc and DHL, et cetera. So, so that, that's, um, that's the, you know, the first, uh, what we see where the first movement's occurring. Uh, and of course, um, the, uh, the other fleets uh, are the next likely target. So these will be more the passenger fleets and, and so on and so forth in terms of the next growth. Uh, again, success is in a bit slow, um, but we will be definitely forthcoming in this year. And there are a couple of factors that are going to drive that. One is well, a few factors. One is the cost of batteries. Uh, the cost of batteries continue to decline, which is phenomenal. Um, that, that helps the, the commercials. Um, there is, um, as well, um, sorry, availability of these vehicles. Um, uh, by the end of 2019, 2020, um, um, auto manufacturers, you know, traditional auto manufacturers, not your Teslas or your Proteras, et cetera, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be introducing over 300 new models of EV, uh, EV-enabled cars or EV, EV vehicles. So we've seen that the traditional auto manufacturers are stepping in and that they're going to actually pr- provide the supply, which is, which is a big component. And, you know, of course, the, the center of all this is still the cost of battery. Um, so that, that's, another, that's another factor that I think um, is going to hopefully put the little knee in our S-curve of adoption mm-hmm. uh, between 2019 and 2020. And then, how, uh, and then, of course, mm-hmm, yeah, the fleet. Oh, no, like, I was going to um, say, you know, I, I was, yeah. I was interested in in how you were working with the traditional auto companies and and uh, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're companies like like Volvo and Jaguar. But to the extent that you're, um, you know, you can you can align what you're doing, uh, which is really necessary to have that kind of infrastructure. I mean, how how is this impacting the uh, the those traditional auto com- the the traditional manufacturers? Uh, you mean traditional OEMs that are not going to be in the EV business, or no, the autos that are make, that are looking to make that transition to uh, to to EVs? Yeah. Okay. Um, so just to be clear, you're you're talking about um, OEMs that are are looking at converting converting their business that's, to EVs that's, from IC vehicles. That's right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, it's it's interesting. Is I I don't think they have a choice. Frankly, <laughs> uh, it's it's happening. And uh, the market is going to pull that. And, and what we're seeing is that almost every auto manufacturer that we know of has either released or planning on releasing, um, you know, electric vehicles. As a matter of fact, if you, um, if you look at uh, some of the work that Tony Sebo has done, I'm a big fan in, uh, in, of, of Tony in, in his analysis. 
Um, you know, he, he basically thinks that uh, by 2040, you know, 80 percent of vehicles on the road are going to be, um, you know, are going to be uh, electric vehicles. Um, and, and, and his analysis, I think, is pretty good. I mean, he's looked at it in multiple dimensions, he's looked at it as the emergence of ride sharing and e-mobility services and, and, and the like. Uh, in coming up with that conclusion. We did our own independent analysis and came up the same. Now, to answer your question about the auto manufacturers, the auto manufacturers see that. Um, I think the challenge for them has been getting their heads wrapped around um, some of the, some of the uh, things that, some of the things that you, you would imagine they would, you know, internal struggles of internal challenges of convincing, um, you know, the existing business uh, that's producing ICE engines and ICE vehicles that there is money in this when there is no market yet to speak of, right? But the market is evolving, convincing them that, that they need to shift. You know, it's a transformational thing, right? They need to shift uh, their revenues or the, the investment of the company from ICE to EV. So there's an internal challenge and struggle with these traditional auto companies where they sat around in their boardrooms, I'm sure, and they looked at it and they said, there's not a market there yet. And so why would we move resources from here to there? And then, but that's beginning to happen. I mean, you know, those, those battles have been fought over the past year or two, and those battles have been won in most of the auto manufacturers that we are uh, working with mm. uh, by, the, by the new divisions that are going to be um, generating uh, EVs. I mean, look at Ford. Ford last year um, basically um, announced uh, their Edison division, which is going to be purely focused on EVs and, and so on and so forth. And that was an $11 billion investment for Ford to do that. Uh, Jaguar, Volvo, um, all of them are pretty much going through this process uh, and have gone through that process and have pretty much landed where in the next couple of years, um, you know, they are going to be uh, creating a um, platform, a, a single platform that they could deploy, um, you know, in, in multiple EVs. So big investment. Um, and of course, there is a changeover in the manufacturing. It's, it's, all this stuff takes a lot of time and money, uh, but it's happening, and we're seeing it happening. Yeah. Um, so that's from an auto OEM perspective. Again, their main their main challenge has always been in the cost of the battery, and the secondary challenge for them has been, well, how do we really monetize the vehicle now in this new environment? Because electric vehicles uh, are no longer, um, you know, they're not traditional vehicles. You can actually put services on on top of these vehicles. So, you know, what value are we going to be able to generate, and how we're going to monetize that value, and what part of the value chain do we want to play in? And then, of course, last and not least, who's going to pay for the electrical charging infrastructure, and how is that going to happen, and how is that going to be, um, you know, how is that going to evolve? Uh, so, um, you know, that's that's the auto OEM's perspective from you know based on our engagement with them, what we understand in terms of their challenges and opportunities. But they're moving see, along. Oh no, I was just going to say. Um, I mean, you, as as you uh, provided some examples of of you know some of the early, uh, I guess more forward thinking you know cities that are or and you know and and mm-hmm. folks that are putting putting together uh, plans for for electrified fleets. Um, it seems like there's a lot of. I mean, you mentioned you mentioned uh, European cities, and I'd love to get your perspective mm-hmm. on. Uh, you know which which regions seem to be ahead of other others, and whether uh, whether you know what what some of the obstacles are in the U.S. that would maybe allow uh, you know allow this the you know, EVs and and you know sort of the the virtuous cycle of of you know clean energy and and transportation to to really take hold in the U.S. 
Yeah, and I think, uh, to your point, we need to step back and look at the world picture and see who's doing what and, 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 and how, is that, how is that working out. And um, again, you know, looking at the data, we're, we're seeing that China is going to lead the adoption, they're going to lead innovation, they're going to lead disruption in this, in this field. And what we're seeing now is that Europe is going to rapidly consolidate, and unfortunately, um, U.S. is behind in that. And, and the reason is that, uh, first of all, whether this is a high priority or not at a, uh, at a well, of course, you know, you could argue that China is really one government, and, and it's, it's the kind of government that basically uh, decides and defines what happens, and it happens, right? So they, they don't have some of the other challenges uh, that other countries have. But, but China has made this an ultra-high priority. There is very strong government push for um, you know, electric vehicles, and they're driving to total cost of ownership parity by 2025. That's, that's not too far, right? And, and they're providing uh, not only incentives, but they're also invest, investing hundreds of billions of dollars in the infrastructure to make that happen as a government. Uh, of course, um, for everybody else, it's a challenging market to access, but for China, it's, it's a brilliant market. Uh, and in terms of Europe, to the point you made earlier, what we're seeing is that, you know, there's actually strong regulation and, and uh, around and importing, uh, improving EVs in, in Europe, in the European Union, in Europe in general. Uh, we're seeing that a lot of the city governments are, are uh, really aggressively forcing and, and actually putting punitive measures in place if you're not uh, carbon neutral or, or um, if you're not um, environmental friendly. Uh, so there's that, and but but the the challenge there is, of course, it's a fragmented um, EV um, uh, structure market, right? Uh, so that's that's one of the challenges. Uh, but but we've seen Europe be really consolidating and, and and moving a little bit faster. And of course, certain countries are going to move faster than other countries in Europe, like Germany, UK, France, etc. Um, you know, they're ahead of uh, countries like Italy and, and Spain in terms of uh, imposing those regulations as well as uh, putting in the uh, incentives uh, to drive that. Uh, so now we look at U.S. as one country. The biggest challenge we have here is the regulatory uh, challenges, the regulatory uncertainty and the challenging total cost of ownership and the economics of this. Um, those are the those are the things that are plaguing. But what we're seeing is that we're seeing uh, wide model selection and strong progress in select states. So we've seen select states really move aggressively ahead of the country. And the expectation or the aspiration, I believe, is that you know other states will see the example and the successes, and then they'll follow suit. But but that's that's what's happening in in, in North America. It's really the regulatory uncertainty and the challenging total cost of ownership economics. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's that's really really helpful. Um, so as as you, as you look forward, would love to get your. Uh, mm-hmm. I always like to ask, you know, as as you know, as as you're articulating, you know, a, a very complex uh, vision, but uh, really compelling over the next uh, you know several decades with this essentially you know once in a. Once, once in you know, say once in a century type of transition. Uh, what are you right. most optimistic about? And you know where 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 are your biggest concerns? Oh, what am I optimistic about? I am optimistic that we're going to save the planet. <laughs> that all of this is an effort to save the planet. I'm really optimistic that um, that in this particular instance, the, the you know the the convergence of the government and the market forces uh, is is coming together finally and, and really driving this. 
Uh, and then this is not this is not something that we should be doing. This is something that we have to do. There is no other choice, right? I mean, this is about the planet, and I'm very optimistic that these forces will come together and it will happen. Like you said, it's pretty complicated. I mean, if you look at the value chain, you know, you have OEMs involved, you have telematic companies involved, you have grid connectivity, you have energy management services, you have analytical and digital services, you have charging infrastructures, right? By the time you get to the customer, so it's a it's a very complicated environment, but but it's coming together. And look, it it took the hydrocarbon industry how many years to build and and make that entire hydrocarbon value chain as efficient as it is today. Uh, so we're actually moving at at a much faster pace when it comes to electric vehicles. So that's that, that's what I'm optimistic about is that you know, you know technology and the evolution of technology has been such that um, you know we're we're seeing the improvements we need to see both in price and performance and and availability. Uh, that that's really ultimately driving the commercial value, which is ultimately going to drive this transformation. Uh, and I'm sorry, I, I sort of forgot oh, the, your second point. The, yeah, the other, the other <laughs> part is the uh, is the concerns. Really, what you know, what keeps yeah. you up at night? What keeps me up at night? What a great question. Um, what keeps me up at night is um, a few things. Um, you know, there there are things that we can control and things that we cannot control, right? And one of the challenges that we have is that the regulatory environment is uncertain. And and, and regulatory environment has a pretty big impact on what happens here. So say tomorrow we decide that, um, you know, we decide that, uh, you know, uh, we are fine with how much carbon energy we generate, right? And that there's no need or desire to have, um, you know, to have EVs, and which is, somewhat the state that we're living in right now is, is that, you know, that that's going to dramatically impact and slow down the adoption. Um, so that's, that's one of the things. Um, the, the other thing that I'm really losing sleep on is that, um, you know, it should be happening a little bit faster. We all want it to happen a little bit faster. Uh, but some of the challenges in the infrastructure, um, and that again ties back as well into politics, you know, the regulatory policy uh, and regulatory pressures or incentives, you know, that's not going to happen as fast as it needs to. And, and that's, that's actually a reality today. Um, you know, the, um, the, the who's going to pay for this infrastructure question hasn't really been resolved yet, right? So the oil companies built the entire infrastructure uh, for ICE vehicles, but where's the oil company that's going to build that entire infrastructure for electric vehicles? The regulated utilities aren't going to do it because they're regulated in a way that prevents them from doing it, right? So who's going to build this infrastructure? Um, you know that that's that's a piece that we lose sleep over as well. Um, and and you know again, I hate to keep pointing back to the regulators, uh, to the regulators and to the policymakers, but that's that's where most of our concern is. Um, the technology is there. Uh, the commercial models are evolving. Um, you know the companies that the commercial models are proving to be viable for moving forward. They're going to do it regardless of whether the government, uh, you know, asks them to do it or not, because you know they're they're getting the economic benefit of doing it. Um, when it comes to the broader consumer market adoption, um, you know, that, that the situation becomes a little bit more complicated, and that's where the whole question around who's going to build the infrastructure, who's going to manage it, who's going to operate it, who's going to regulate it, how are you going to do it. Uh, who's going to make money off of it? You know, those those questions haven't been yet resolved. Yeah, well, that's, well, that's generally what I'm looking for. 
Well, I, I would say that every you know every quarter that that Tesla, you know, meets its its production and, and shipping targets means that, you know, there are that many cars that just become, uh, you know, they they they, they become you know, demand drivers and and that you know the demand has to uh, and the and the infrastructure is going to have to respond to that demand. So, uh, it uh, is absolutely. it is an extra ball. Well, well, this has been you know super helpful, Robin and. and um, you know, I think I think we're we're very much in uh, uh, in concert in terms of our our, our views at, at Momenta. I mean, we're big believers in the in the big energy transformation that's that's coming, as well as um, uh, as as well as EVs. But uh, I always like to to ask finally if if you could uh, make a make a book re- recommendation or, or any other resource recommendation for uh, for our listeners. Oh, absolutely. I mean. I- yeah, you know, uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier, and I and 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 um, Tony Siba's book, "The Clean Disruption," is a must-read. I think on everybody's list who is interested in what's going on in this industry and how it's going to evolve and what's going to happen. And actually, uh, you know, uh, I, I would say that uh, Tony Siba must have a beautiful crystal ball because uh, he's he's been pretty dead on on his prediction so far. So I would love to have a piece of his crystal ball. Uh, <laughs> that's a great book, uh, "Clean Disruption of Energy." Tony Siba, S E B A. I highly recommend it. Yeah, Tony's, uh, you know, Tony's, Tony's one of our favorites here. And I think anybody who's listening to this that hasn't gotten the book uh, needs to needs 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 to rush right out and and, and order it to uh, <laughs> immediately. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's amazing. Yeah, well, we're we're very much in agreement, and and it again, it's it's uh, it's 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 been an absolute pleasure. Uh, this is again, this is Ed McGuire Insights partner and Momenta, and our guest has been Rob Masudi, who is global head of digital transformation at ABB. And and Rob, I want to thank you once again for taking the time. It was uh, it was incredibly interesting and, and informative, as as always. I've as as I would have expected from from hearing you speak before. Thank you, Ed. It's been a a pleasure. Thank you. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner at Momenta Partners, with an episode of our Digital Leaders series. Please check our website at momenta.partners for archived versions of prior podcasts and webinars, as well as resources to help with your digitization journey. 